0: Thank you for joining us for this episode of Talking Talent. I'm Nicole Fuqua. You're listening to our audio series where we dig into issues related to talent acquisition. Attracting candidates with the right cultural fit is difficult at any organization. The issue is compounded when employees are not working in an office environment, but instead out in the field, working face to face with your customers. For organizations with field service employees, the employees that spend the least amount of time in your office are often the face of your organization. So how do you attract and hire the best field service workers? That's what we're talking about today. Joining me is Chris Guerra, the Managing Director, Executive Vice President for Service Council. In his role, Chris is defining and executing the Service Council's Research and Insights product portfolio. As a senior analyst on service, Chris is directly connected to senior service leaders and solution providers to drive the Service Council's Smarter Services agenda. This provides service executives and organizations the ability to benchmark their operations and also provide the guided insight to target how to improve their service organization performance and deliver the full potential of their change management initiatives. Chris also leads new member acquisition, member engagement, community expansion, as well as the development of their annual symposium. Prior to his role at the Service Council, Chris held service leadership positions at Vivint Smart Home, where he managed 1,200-plus field professionals supporting more than 1 million customers across North America. While at Nielsen, he led global strategic field initiatives, specifically digitization technology and process improvement implementations of a $1 billion profit and loss service business supporting more than 15,000 field professionals in more than 100 countries around the globe. Chris, thanks for joining me today.
1: Thanks, Nicole. That's a, that's a mouthful. It basically says uh, to everybody that's listening is that I've been in service my entire career. I love what I do, and I, I appreciate the opportunity to come here today and talk with uh, our esteemed panel. So thank you.
0: Wonderful. And as you just referenced there in today's episode, we're going to be taking a slightly different format. Our approach will be almost like a panel. Also joining me today are Mike Yinger and Janice Weiner. Mike is our global leader of growth and strategy here at PeopleScout, and he's responsible for global sales results and organizational strategy. Janice leads cross-selling and total talent initiatives for PeopleScout. Total talent includes all of the ways a company can get its work done. Getting the work done from a company's field service perspective is what we'll focus on today. Mike and Janice will help guide our conversation. So Mike and Janice, thanks for joining
2: Thank you, Nicole, happy to be here. Thank you, Nicole.
0: All right, Chris, so I want to bring this back to you to start us off. There are obviously a wide range of organizations with a wide variety of field service roles. So when it comes to talent attraction and hiring, we're obviously not talking about any sort of one size fits all solution. But can you give us a little bit of an idea of the types of roles we're talking about and some of the similar challenges organizations face in hiring for these positions?
1: Yeah, I'd be happy to. Um, I mean, for those of you that don't know the Service Council, and I know Nicole, you alluded to it a bit in the intro, but we do a lot of primary research on an annual basis with service leaders and service organizations globally. We use that information to benchmark performance, right? And we talk to these service leaders about the key things that they feel they need to get done in the year ahead some of the challenges and opportunities that they're facing and kind of time to execution, right? What are they looking for uh, in terms of uh, being able to deliver results? But in that, we also talk to them about um, benchmarks. How are they doing against uh, where they were the prior year? And we use that in aggregate to really kind of benchmark our membership community and the larger service community. So uh, it's it's with that lens that that my responses will be couched today. And one of the things that we talked to our service leaders in our annual survey was what are some of the external challenges, right, that you're facing? And you just alluded to it. And at the number one, right, out of the hundreds of service leaders that we've talked to, the number one uh, uh, objective in terms of the external challenges that they're facing is a workforce and talent shortage. Everyone is talking about this across service and certainly across the, the senior ranks of the leadership team, which is how do we attract, acquire, train, maintain, and engage with a workforce that really is the face of our organization, right? They're the folks not only solving the problems for the customers, but they're also engaging with the brand. And I think I think so much that conversation has Come around for two reasons. One, uh, service continues to be a differentiator. Before service was a was a cost of doing business, but we're now seeing more and more mainstream organizations, large organizations, OEMs, manufacturers, using service as a way to drive customer satisfaction, customer engagement, and really even customer um, growth as it relates to that. So when they looked at their workforce, they said, uh, we've got a lot of folks that are going to be retiring, you know, and there's a there's a push to create the workforce of the future. And in those conversations, there isn't one best way of doing things. What we're hearing from uh, our community, and certainly what we're seeing in our research, which is those folks, uh, you know, there, there's really a as most business problems. There's leaders, there's laggards, and then there's kind of everybody else in the middle, you know, trying to figure it out. And what we're seeing from the laggards is just trying to do more of the same that they've used over the last 20 years, which is simply posting jobs with old outdated, Hmm. um, uh, if you will, job descriptions, uh, job pictures in terms of what does the work look like. And then we're seeing among the leaders, we're seeing innovative approaches of partnering with education. We're seeing them really drive down the opportunities into their business uh, in trying to get to a younger workforce to show them the potential of what that job has going forward. And even more importantly, they're talking more holistically about where this position fits into the organization An effort to not only, as you said, attract somebody who likes the brand and maybe likes the type of work that we're talking about here, but even more important, they wanna be able to see beyond the fact that yes, they work by themselves, right? Most service folks do work by themselves. They don't have interaction, they don't have the benefit of an office that a lot of us share. So it's really about where are you making an investment in me so there's a there's that larger conversation that's becoming more and more critical as part of the recruitment process and the development of talent and talent pipeline, which is you know how is this going to benefit me uh, as a service person coming into your organization so the the messages are changing, the tools that they're using are changing, and the approach is changing
3: yeah, this a uh, d- you, you, that's man. There's a whole bunch of good stuff in there, Chris. <laughs> Particularly when when you, you think about what's going on in the economy, and the competition that your folks are facing for these kinds of jobs, and where you've got large organizations offering very competitive salaries now, and people have a choice, and and so what are you seeing from a competitive Position. What kind of things are your members doing to ensure that they're getting to the right kind of resources when when they're they're looking to hire?
1: So it's it's a great point, and uh, you know we break it down. I tend to think of it in a in a quadrant format of people, process, technology, and data. Um, which is when when it comes to people, right? They're being much more descriptive about the individual that they're looking for, right? And and the reason why I say that, it's, it's not just a simple cookie cutter job anymore of, of turning a wrench or getting a result uh, as it relates to a brake fix or, or something to that nature. It's really about um, an acquisition of customer service skills in addition to technical or on the job skills. Mm -hmm. And we're hearing more and more the conversation around, um, you know, if you, if you don't know how to do those things in terms of the technical part of the job, we can teach you that, but we're going to try to hire you for the kind of fit into our organization and the kind of fit into the service team. And so they're using things like structured interviews they 're using things like tools that are out there like strength strength finders myers briggs predictive index, other things that align with an assessment of the talent that's already in the organization that is doing well and they're looking for complementary skills they're looking for um, you know, what can a new person bring in that looks very much like what the successful person that has worked for us is already contributing. So they're doing more, uh, if you will, of an assessment holistically uh, against the job rather than just here's the hours uh, of, uh, you know, that you work, here's the pay that you'll get. Those things are important. But they're not just the leading part of the discussion with candidates. Uh, It is really a holistic view of what does the job entail. So that's the people part of it. And Mm -hmm. then process, which in my mind is, is how easy is it for me to step in and do the job effectively? Nobody wants to show up at work and have a difficult time, you know, getting to being productive for the organization that's paying paying them, right? What they want to be able to do is quickly come in, assimilate, train, understand what the company needs from them, and then go out and do work, right? Because that's where they're the happiest. They love to be out with the customers. They love to be out fixing things. They love to be out doing new installations. Uh, those are the things that we've seen in our field service engineer survey that we just recently conducted, which is, you know, how quickly can you get me to proficiency? I don't want to be stuck in a long training program. I don't want to be stuck in a situation where I'm not adding value, um, right? So they're looking for some traction under the process of how the organization is set up. And then with technology, you know, we've talked about it, both, you know, leading up to this conversation and outside of this, I know Janice and I have been on on different uh, uh, smaller group discussions with business leaders and technology is important, right? Technology is an enablement, Uh, to allow you to go better, faster, and quicker than your competition and certainly meet the needs of your, your customers. So your technology selections and how you deploy technology, everything from your mobile device to your platforms to even, you know, the types of vehicles and the tools and the parts that are in those vehicles, how that technology is actually helping them stay on track to do work for the organization. And lastly, from a data perspective, how am I doing? tell me how I'm doing on a regular basis. Let me know every day. Let me know every week. Let me know how I stack up against my goals, my objectives, my peers, my own personal career path. And, and all of those things, when you put them together, that's what the good candidates are looking for from their organization. And that's what the good organizations, the leading organizations are trying to supply. Does that help,
3: Mike? Oh, yeah, Absolutely.
0: And Chris, I wanted to take this opportunity to jump back in on some of what you just said there so we can talk a little bit about putting together candidate personas for these field service roles. I know you mentioned that it's not as simple as just coming up with a one size fits all list of characteristics, but how do you put together a persona? Are there any common threads you need to look for?
1: Well, I think uh, it's a great question, Nicole, and, and there's a lot of different things to touch on here, but I, I will say is first understand your business, right? Before you begin to craft what that candidate persona looks like, you have to first really understand your business and spend some time looking at the results that your current team is achieving and, and saying to yourself, is, is what John or Elaine or Bob doing is how do I quantify that, right? Assuming that those three are leaders or consistent producers for your organization that you want to use as uh, guides, right? You know, guides to to success for what, what does a future candidate look like? So, Understanding your business first, understanding your people within your business and, and how you're measuring their success, I think is important. And then you go back and you start to collect that data around what makes Elaine, Bob and John and others click, right? What, what, what is naturally occurring to them? Do they like to solve problems? Cause guess what? That's a big part of the job. Do they like to work independently? Again, another component of this job that's unique compared to most. Nobody is there with you. Uh, You do have support, right? But support is a phone call or a Skype call or some other kind of uh, technology. So you have to have confidence, right? You have to have confidence in yourself. Um, And then we look at the ability to uh, understand information. A lot of these, if you will, field service engineers are servicing multiple Products and not just the new ones, right? A lot of the the OEMs and some of the industrial products, you know, have a lifespan of 15, 20, 25 years. So when you look at all of the product that has occurred over that period of time, being able to reference data, being able to assimilate information quickly, being able to then turn around and apply it, those are skills. When you break it down, those are skills that individuals have. Some people like to work with numbers, some people like to work with. You know, language, some other people like to work with people, but finding those key components of Mm -hmm. what makes your service engineer work well and being able to isolate those and then being able to take those, as you said, form them into a persona so that you now have a hiring guide of what does good look like? Because to be honest, right, to be honest, as we've been on site with some of our members and as we've had these conversations with others, we find very, very different approaches to the hiring pipeline. And that creates trouble. And when I say trouble, it's trouble in the end result, right? When, when the operations leaders are not clear to the people doing the hiring because in some cases companies bifurcate that they have a hiring team or recruitment team or talent acquisition team that's different from the operations team. And so they're doing the first screening, the second screening, they're doing the assessment of candidates. But if operations and the talent acquisition team have not come to an agreement of that persona or what does good look like, it's really, really hard then to move to the next level of candidate acquisition when you're getting candidates that aren't matching uh, what you were hoping for if you're the operations person. So we're, we're seeing that there has to be more uh, alignment up front and the operations team can drive that in organizations. The second thing is, how do you go about interviewing, right? What kind of questions do you ask? How do you get to the root of some of these persona driven outcomes that you seek. And so we talk about structured interviews. We talk about interview training. We talk about, uh, you know, components of different people within the organization looking at the candidates so that you get a full 360 view and not just a simple 180 view that you might have in some organizations. And Uh, You know, as they say on the highway, speed kills sometimes, right, you know, from, you know, traveling too fast. Sometimes it's a matter of slowing down and being more precise and more prescriptive in your approach rather than just get through a thousand resumes a week in order to find my candidates, right? But if you know what you're looking for and you can find those needles in the haystack, you can be much more prescriptive in the outcome of the people that you do extend the offers to to join your organization.
3: You know, isn't there a, a challenge there as well when you talk about the, the speed of going through the process uh, versus being deliberate about the process and how quickly candidates move from uh, one opportunity to another? Uh, we've got a client, for example, that uh, they were really struggling getting to the right demographic, and so they moved to a, web- to a, a handheld-based model. Mm-hmm. And what they found is that they went from zero handheld applies to seventy percent handheld applies in a matter of weeks once they had the right application. You know you talked about people wanting to do things easily, and mm-hmm. it's the same kind of thing it would it you You increase the ease of use of the process, targeting those personas that you've talked about, and that helps you get to those right kind of candidates, but you do have to balance making your decisions quickly in haste, perhaps, which I think is what you were implying, yes. versus uh, how long is the candidate going to be around? It's a real challenge in today's market, isn't it?
1: It's, a, it's, it's not only a real challenge uh, in today's market, but it's, it's only going to get increasingly complex as we go forward. And it's a great call out, right? It's a great call out that um, you may know where you want to go. But you can't skip that process step. You have to look at yourself. You have to look at how, you know, we talk about, and when we talk about, when we talk to product companies, we talk about how easy is it for your <clears throat> customer to do business with you right? How easy is it for them to find their products, order the products, get service, get installs, get whatever it is that they need from you? How easy do you make that? We have to think the same way with candidates. Candidates have options, right? I mean, we're in a historically (laughs) low unemployment, uh, you know, situation where, and you've got, you've got needs. Businesses are trying to grow here in the United States. And so the needs are there. That workforce of the future is really, really in a great position to choose how they're going to spend their time. And if you frustrate them. Them, through the hiring and training and you know uh, onboarding process, you're very sure to lose them, right? Because they, they've they've experienced other uh, paths that are less friction and higher reward. Hmm.
2: Yeah, we we agree with you. I I think that uh, applic- applicant drop rate is is a key metric that we help our clients watch over and improve on. Chris, do you see um, independence as being one of the key uh, desirables for working in field service? And do the majority uh, of the workers think that's one of the primary drivers for being in the field?
1: So it's it's just, just we're going to be releasing this data in the next week or so so that the question is timely. Um, looking at this year's uh, results, And it's in the top four, right? So here here are the top four, which is fields, you know, we asked the question of um, what keeps you in the field service profession? And they they had a choice of two. They could pick two out of a list, right? 47% or almost one and two half, let's just say, they're in it because of the type of work that it is. They love the work. They love the problem solving. They love the ability to generate outcomes directly through their own efforts, right? So that type of work interests them. So the work has to be meaningful. Um, second and third, right? These were both tied at 30%. So 30% of those that selected uh, selected one or both of these. And, and they come in equally, right? Uh, one and three saying work-life balance is important right? Let me know when I'm going to be working. Let me know when I'm not going to be working because we all know the field service jobs sometimes can mm, operate without a clock, right? Because you're in the middle of a problem and you're trying to solve the problem. So companies who are good at managing time and managing their workforce create that work-life balance, right? So that's important. And what you just said was the autonomy of the job, right? I get to, in a sense, operate my own territory, my own book of customers, my own uh, geography, if you will. And that matters to me because I have the support of my larger organization. I'm doing work that matters to me. I feel connected to my customer, but I'm doing that in, in a way independent, but yet I'm connected to the mothership, right? Don't get me wrong. But autonomously going through my day is really, really important. And Lastly in those top 4 of why I stay in this profession was my team right so one in four said you know 25% said my team is is the main reason why I'm here right so they feel a uh, uh, um, if you will kindred spirits or you know brothers and sisters in arms whatever it is but it's that it's that work group of their team that allow them to go out and execute and that's you know, geez, I'm a sports guy. So I look at the NBA, I study team makeup, right? And, and that's when you look at teams that win. Yes, they have some superstars, but at the end of the day, they win as a team. And that's, that's kind of the same environment that good field service organizations and people tend to gravitate towards.
0: And Chris, that leads perfectly into the next point that I really wanted to talk about here. And that is knowing this about these candidates Knowing what they're looking for out of a job and out of an employer, especially the importance of that team, how do you create an employer brand that appeals to these candidates? How do you build that culture and then showcase it to those candidates so that especially in this market, they want to choose you over the other options?
1: Oy, that's <laughs> a big question, isn't it? Um, because there's so much there. There's so many opportunities. Um, so. First and foremost right there's there's something that we talk about within our membership uh, of what we call say do ratio. Do you do what you say you're going to do? And our expectations when we talk to member clients is that that has to be if 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 it's not a hundred percent, it has to be darn well close to a hundred percent, right? Because again, people have choices, right? So if they don't trust that you're going to do what you say you're going to do, it's really really hard for them to commit to do what you what you need them to do. Uh, so that that's first thing. So culture matters, and culture is. And it can be shown up in a, in a number of different ways. It certainly starts with the leadership, right? It starts with the leadership of the organization. And more importantly, to a service engineer who's out in the field, it's, it's their direct management team right? I mean, they they have awareness of the C-level folks and the strategy of the organization, but it's really up to the local and the regional service management leaders to tie that vision, that those goals back to the work that these guys and gals are doing every single day. So that's part of where that say-do starts, which is when we look at what we do into the larger organization and the goals of the larger organization are those, are you helping me connect those dots, right? Are we moving uh, forward in in regards to that? The the second thing is, is are we engaged in a conversation or is this a one-way dialogue? Successful organizations that we're seeing are taking the temperature of their workforce and they do that through pulse surveys, they do that through annual engagement surveys, they do that through one-on-ones or in some cases, right? We, we talk a lot about exit interviews when you're looking at an attrition problem, but we, a lot of successful organizations do what they call stay interviews and even more importantly um, executive ride-alongs, right? Which is listening to your frontline worker. Again, the frontline worker is the one who's out with your client every single day, if you're listening to them and they feel like they have the ability to give feedback, they have the ability to give um, feedback that actually they can participate in in helping make the company better, those are huge value adds as it relates to, you know, that workforce and workforce stability and frankly workforce continuity going forward.
2: Yeah, I, I wondered about Uh, I wondered about that because on the one hand, speed is so important to get there on time and be able to fix the issue uh, as quickly as possible and then have the time to have a conversation with the client and to get to know the client. And and I wonder if companies uh, that you're seeing have a hard time doing that, balancing that Let's have a conversation and build the relationship and maybe there's something more we can do for you and having to get to their next service call.
1: It's important, right? And that's where having great processes and technology can help you close that gap a little bit. Right. And and when I say that is from a field service engineer's perspective or field service tech's perspective, they're looking for and they're really, really uh, invested in their own development. Right. They want to know that the organization is helping them get better. And being able to do that means they have to be able to assimilate information when opportunities provide themselves. I'm not talking about going to a regional training event, you know, being off of, away from their, if you will, primary job duties for a couple of days. I'm talking about the ability to on demand whether they're at home whether they're at lunch whether they're in between appointments being able to generate learning from cells because they have the tools and the companies provided the tools for them to invest in their own a education B product knowledge or C just just being able to interact within their community internally about how have you guys or gals solved this problem? Because I'm about to walk into this situation. And so there's collaboration that that goes on, but the tools and the processes that guide that. The other thing that we see from good managers and good leaders is is really being able to identify the coachable moments, right? The moments where uh, something is happening live or close to live real time uh, with the field service person and the management team is is there in support of them in an effort to try to drive a, a positive outcome not only for the employee but for the client and those teachable moments are are critical. And some organizations do this as an after action where they you know they save all that up and they talk about it at the end of the week or at the monthly meeting or what have you. That doesn't go towards speed as you talked about. It also mm-hmm. doesn't go towards a an innovation cycle right of getting better in the moment. So we're seeing organizations that are succeeding, moving those conversations and moving the, the, if you will, the return of information as close to the event itself as possible.
3: You know, there's a the very interesting thread in a number of these things that you just talked about, Chris, which is the company focus on their people. You talked about surveys and whatnot, and it it certainly goes beyond surveys because it's it's the actionable part. What I'm hearing you say is the, you know, that the the workers crave this kind of connection to the company, even in the nature of their work, which is is by and large um, perhaps solitary, but certainly um, uh, remote. Mm -hmm. It, it, It how critical that is to have that connection to the company culture and for the company to really understand what their culture is and what it is that their people are looking for. There's, there's a, there's a huge amount of two-way communication there that, that has to go on that, um, really speaks to how do you keep your people? How do you keep them happy and how do you keep them?
1: Absolutely does. And it's a, it's a big part, you know, whether it be, uh, we, we talk about service leaders today having some sort of social media strategy. And if you're looking at that younger workforce, right? Uh, maybe not to somebody like me, right? But to somebody that's younger, 20 something, early thirties coming into the workforce and maybe coming into your organization, that's how they tend to interact with their peer groups. That's how they mm-hmm. tend to interact with their friends and family. And so if you're not providing that same type of engagement opportunity in the tools and technology yeah. that you've got deployed, they're going to feel like there's a gap there somehow.
3: Yeah, that's exactly right. They're, they're, mm-hmm. That's what the people are looking for the same kind of experience they see in their day-to-day lives. They want it to be that easy. They want it to be that relevant. And if you can do that, then, then you create a loyal workforce and, and, it's much better to keep your real workforce than have to recruit it after all. <laughs>
1: it is a lot easier to keep your workforce, right? And not only keep your workforce, but turn them into, and I'm going to quote a word that I heard at Qualtrics uh, at their summit earlier this year around customers, but I think it applies here. Turn them into evangelists mm-hmm. for your brand and for that position, right? Involve them in the process of helping you acquire the next new set of talent for your organization because you have developed these evangelists, if you will, within your own community.
3: Yeah. Yeah. I I like that concept. The evangelist is somebody who's willing to speak for and articulate what they like about what they're seeing and, and bring in those other people who are not necessarily obvious that you don't find them through the normal search routines. You find them because they're referrals you find them because they, they know somebody that's, that's a, it's, it continues to be a, a large source in many organizations of resource is that referral opportunity.
1: And there's there's no doubt, right, that that is a critical part of how do they engage, how do they feel welcome. Uh, but when you even you look at it in terms of what companies are demanding, right, this isn't our research, but it it talks about that the number one uh, most demanded skills in the world, right? This is global, right? But it's skilled trades. And while we're talking about service uh, folks, they're going to come into play here, and I'll share that in just a second. But, it, you know, this is the basis of, you know, electricians, uh, plumbers, mechanics, you know, people that may be acclimated towards a service type role as well. But that's number one, and number five are technicians, right? Folks that that directly are the kind of people that we're talking about, uh, you know, contractors, technical staff, people that are out, you know, getting results for the uh, for the client. And when you look at that globally and say, mm, "Wow, the field service space is going to be a huge growth opportunity." That means there's going to be competition for talent. So. To any service leader out there listening, if you haven't heard this, the bell rang a few years ago, and you had better, you you had better answer it, right? And if you haven't, uh, the best day to start, as they say, is today.
3: (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, the bell rang, that's that's for sure.
0: All right, I think we've come to a great spot to wrap up our conversation. Chris, I wanted to thank you for joining us today.
3: Thank you for having me.
0: And Mike and Janice, thank you for jumping in to help guide our discussion.
3: It's been fascinating. Thanks, Nicole. Yeah,
2: thank you both.
0: And thank you for listening. If you have any questions that we didn't cover today, you can send them our way. Just email us at marketing at or you can find us on social media. Just search People Scout on Facebook, Twitter, and LinkedIn. To make sure you don't miss an episode, visit our blog and subscribe to our feed on Apple Podcasts or wherever you listen to podcasts. If you enjoy our show, please rate and review. Talking Talent is a PeopleScout production, music by sound design through Shutterstock.